We're on page 646 of the Green Bibles. We're in Song of Songs, chapter 2. We're going to be beginning at verse 8. And before we do, let's just pray together. We need God's help looking at God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is sharp, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we thank you, Lord, that you are still speaking it. This wasn't just words laid down thousands of years ago. This is your word that you are speaking still today. They are words that come to us still hot with the breath of God. We pray that that would be our experience tonight. Open up your word. Show us wonders in it. Change us through it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 8, chapter 2, Song of Songs. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling." My beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. So just keep that, that passage open. We're doing a bit of a one-off tonight. Uh, we finished our series on the Creed um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, next week, we'll be beginning a brand new series um, looking at uh, the journey, uh, the journey with Jesus, the journey we all go on, our, our spiritual journey. And we've got a series of speakers coming up over August, which is very exciting. In fact, next week, our speaker will be none other than uh, Mrs. Lucy Coleman. Give it up for Lucy. The week after that, we got Cameron Blair doing a bit of preaching. I think then we have a Mr. Uh, Harry Campbell uh, coming, laying down the word. And then uh, Louisa Whitworth is going to be speaking, bringing it home. So really exciting, whoosh, a really exciting month ahead. And this is a bit of a one-off. And I felt like, Lord, what do you want me to speak on? What do you want me to look at? And I just feel on my heart, just the Lord taking me into just I just sense he wants me to spend some time personally looking at the Song of Songs. Um, and I just felt to open up something from that book for us tonight. Because I don't know if you know much about the Song of Songs. It's one of those slightly weird books. Stick a hand in the air if you've read the Song of Songs before at any point. And those with hands in the air will know 
you'll slightly get to the end of it and wonder, like, why is this book in the Bible? <laughs> it's basically a love story. It's basically sort of a, it's not a romantic novel, but it's full of romance. It's a picture uh, of love between a man and a woman, a man who is courting a young maiden, wanting to make her his wife, and then uh, becoming married and uh, just seeing that love flourish. And it, it's just an incredible sort of love story right in the heart of the Bible to the extent that people are like, what's it about? Does it actually belong in the Bible? But the amazing thing is it's on one level a human story between Solomon and uh, one of the maidens, women, he went on to take uh, as one of his brides. But on another, it is a story painting a picture of God's love for us because it's the love between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And as the Bible holds out, Jesus is the groom. He is the bridegroom. And the church, we, his people, are his bride. So when you read this book, and I, I encourage you to, you could get it done in half an hour. It's eight chapters long. Give it a read and transpose yourself into the position of the beloved, of the maiden. And hear some of the words that the lover speaks out over that maiden. Hear them to your soul as the Lord speaking to you, his beloved, his bride-to-be. Because in a nutshell, guys, that's what we are called to. We are called to be the bride of Christ. We are called to be set apart. Jesus on his throne right now is coming back one day to take us to be with him forever. And there will be a marriage feast. And do you know whose marriage it will be? It will be us. It will be us being married to Jesus Christ for eternity. And moving into that life with him. A life that goes on forevermore. A beautiful picture. And that's a picture that we have in this story. And it's full of incredible stuff. It's also full of some weird stuff that you just need to just get your head around, you know. And it, uh, just outpourings of love and devotion. Like chapter 4. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. And you're like, yes, that's great. Like, I, can, I can relate to that language. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Are they doves? <laughs> your hair. Yeah, what's the hair like? Your hair is like a flock of goats. It's like, really? You're leading with that? Your hair is like a flock of goats. De de descending, descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth. Oh, we all, we all like a pair of teeth. Not just a pair. A uh, full set. Uh, your teeth. Just get, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Just Sean. We love, a sh we lo who doesn't love a sheep in the mouth? Uh, a flock of sheep, just on coming, coming up from the washing. At least they've been washed. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. That's better. Your mouth is lovely. That's normal. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. It, isn't that a bit bitty and seedy? Uh, your neck is like the Tower of David. Proportion-wise, would that be nice? Uh, built with courses of stone. Would you want it softer? Uh, on it hang a thousand shields. All of them are shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns. And I think we'll leave it there. Uh, there's, there's just weird stuff. There's weird stuff in the Song of Songs. But there is beautiful stuff. And it is a picture of God's love for us. It's a picture of uh, 
marriage and of a wedding, you know, coming back from Focus, we had to get so much stuff down there because we love to make it a home for you guys. Next year when you come, you'll taste it. We want to take a little taste of Parsons Green and our style and our class and deposit it where we are in the wilderness. So we had to hire a three-ton Luton truck to get the marquee and the sofas and the trestle tables and the urns and the pillows and the cereal and all the barbecue stuff and fire pit, everything that needs to go down. We rammed this thing, not to mention all of our luggage uh, and groceries, but we hired this van and we got it down there and then we're coming back and uh, my wingmen in, in the cab of the truck were James Hellings and uh, Will Cunliffe sitting here in the front row. And we had, we had some interesting times in the journey. Actually, do you know, as an aside, we broke down on the way there on the M3. I'm not even joking. We stopped to get a McDonald's and to fill up with diesel at fleet services. And we had a wonderful McDonald's. Um, and then we just casually cruised off without filling up. And the light immediately came up for fuel. We're like, this should be fine. Loads of miles in the thing. And it was very quickly, a very shallow red bit. You know, I prefer them when they're a bit deeper. So it was just immediately, is that right at the end of the red? And uh, we discovered soon that it was. Um, and we thought, we'll push on. Next services, you know, is junction eight. And we were junction four. I had these guys Googling petrol stations off the M3 between junctions 5 and 8. We, had, we were like trying to research it because we were all a little bit nervous and tightened up. And then anyway, we, we found services four miles. And then we discovered the electronic gauge that says 10 miles. And we're like, fine. And there was just relief in the thing. So we got ten, six miles to play with. Let's go, for, you know, let's go and explore Hampshire. Um, <laughs> but we stayed on. Uh, and then 10 turned to 9, and the boys were chatting. And then it turned to 8. And I was like, pretty sure I haven't done a mile in that time. <laughs> And then it hit, it hit five, and we're like, no gas station. And then it literally went four, three, two, one, zip. And it was on zero. And we were still on the M3, <laughs> a three-ton truck, with James and Will like, I think we could be all right. Even if, if we're half a mile shy, we can push this bad boy. And I was like, you aren't pushing anything. Um, and we, we suddenly, the turning was there, and we're like, thank, the, thank you, Lord, angels' wings. And we pulled off, and we pulled onto the forecourt. And I literally said to Will, can you just get out and find where the petrol cap is? Uh, and he went out and had a look around. We were on the forecourt, 10, 15 yards of where Max and Megan were from the petrol pump. And he said, oh, it's on the left-hand side. As he did, the car broke down. It, it ran out of petrol on the forecourt. And we had to, I just took my foot off the brake, just drifted into position. <laughs> got out and filled it up. You know what? That's all by the by, but it's nervous times, but good times. Good times in the cab. But the point is, on the way back, we were talking about weddings. And for some reason, we were talking about the Queen. Um, and I don't know, you know, just honoring her in the way that you should. Uh, and then from nowhere, James Hellings came out with this stunning stat, uh, which is, it was just a moment's quiet. And then suddenly James piped up like, we invited the Queen to our wedding. And we were like, Will and I were, I was like, what? Are you joking? Yes, mate, get in. He's like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we wrote to her, inviting her to come to the wedding. And uh, we got a lovely uh, letter back, actually, from her, who was it? Maiden? Lady in waiting. <laughs> she doesn't do her own, uh, she'd have a lot to do. Um, uh, from her lady in waiting, um, saying, uh, <laughs> Dear Mr. and Mrs. Goldschmidt, um, is it we regret? Uh, Her Majesty regrets to inform you that she cannot make your big day because she has a prior engagement. But we wish you uh, many 
happy times and hope it goes splendidly. Uh, signed off, lady in waiting. P.S. Who the devil are you? Uh, I would have written. No, she didn't write that. But she, he wrote to the Queen saying, we invited the Queen to our wedding. And Will and I were just like high-fiving, like, yes, mate, get in, Hellbomb. And he's like, this lovely letterhead, so we've got it framed in the downstairs loo. And we said, oh, we can see the point in that. Any of you thinking of doing the same? That's what happens. Slight pause, and then James follows it up with, um, we also invited David Cameron. I'm like, shut up, you invited Cameron. He's like, yeah, same thing, letterhead, upstairs loop. So it's up there. And Will and I are just falling apart. We're just going, yes, Ellings, this is classic. And we thought, that's that. But no, it wasn't. It's like, um, and Nelson Mandela. It's like, Nelson Mandela? Like, who are you? This is extraordinary stuff, Ellings. You know, I'm driving along, just like tears coming down. Like, fantastic. Didn't get a letter, uh, just an email saying he couldn't be with us. He doesn't travel anymore. I think he was quite old by that point. But we were like, oh, there's a lot of joy, releasing joy. There was a lot of joy in the cab at this point. Um, but he still wasn't done, and just another pause. And then he came out with the icing on the cake. He's like, and Barack Obama. Um, he's like, but we didn't hear back from him. Not a thing, not a squeak. But we were loving it. We just couldn't believe it. And we were just imagining, can you just imagine if you had one of those people at your wedding? Just one of them. <laughs> How it would make a special day even more special. And I just said, I've got to get that in a sermon somehow. So I've crowbarred it into this one. <laughs> and um, it sort of works because we're getting amazed about the idea of having any of these human beings at our big day, at a wedding. Just meeting them would be an honor, a privilege. And yet what the Bible points to, what it holds out, is that the God of the universe, the creator of it all, the king of kings, the one who sits on a throne, is the one who is drawn near in the person of Jesus Christ, who has come near to us, to this earth, who has taken on human flesh and has given us, you, me, a proposal of marriage. That's the story of the Bible. That's the amazing, simple truth. We think it's an honor to get, to invite the queen and just get a piece of paper back with nice, gilted writing on it, frame it, put it in the loo. But here in the Bible, we have a love letter coming our way, inviting us to attend a marriage in which we get to play a key and central part. Isn't that amazing? This is the picture that gets held out. This is the first thing we see in this passage. The beloved hearing her lover on the way. Picture it as the church hearing the Lord. She, she says in verse 8, Listen, my beloved. She can hear him coming. Look, here he comes. And that's the first thing I want us to take away from tonight. To know that our God isn't one who stands far off. He do, isn't one that stands aloof, who we can only reach through mail, through invitation, uh, getting dealt with through the guards and getting dealt with by the lady-in-waiting. He's not one who we need to impress, who we need to do our best for, put on our Sunday best for work with all our muster to come before. In fact, he's not the one that we need to take the first step towards. No, instead, he is the one who has come to us. Look, here he comes. 
leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. The Bible points to a God who radically pursues his people, the church, who radically comes seeking us, who doesn't let obstacles get in his way, who will cross land and sea and pass through time and space and take on flesh and become a baby in a manger to meet with us, to come to us. He is the God who comes. Do you hear him? Have you seen that? Listen, my beloved. Look, here he comes. The bride-to-be, she then spots him coming into sight. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. It's, it's again, Middle East, you've got to translate it. I mean, I wouldn't commend that behavior to any of us in the 21st century. Don't go peering through many windows. Um, and it, people who do that generally spend some time in jail. But this is a picture of the lover drawing near. And I'm delighted to say in the congregation tonight are a couple who I spoke, took their wedding just a few weeks ago. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. David Allen, who've just returned from honeymoon, who are with us. And I spoke from this passage. It was one of their readings. And so I had to give, um, not this talk, but look at this passage uh, <laughs> at their wedding. Um, and I picked up on those points. I was struck in preparing that about seeing the obstacles that the Lord, he comes face to face with on a few different occasions, yet they don't stop him. You see, he, he meets, he comes, and he comes to a wall. What's interesting here is it says, look, there he stands behind our wall. This is a wall that that family, that those people had put up. A defensive wall, if you like, to keep strangers at bay, to keep people at arm's length. And the Lord, using this analogy, the Lord approaches each one of us. But each one of us, we're so good at putting up walls, aren't we? We're so good at defending ourselves, at keeping people at arm's length. And each one of us creates a natural wall through our sin. This is the story of the Bible. Right there in the garden, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And angels with swords were put there to, to guard the way so that they couldn't return. God in his mercy, sending Adam and Eve out into the world. A wall, a partition to that intimacy with God of being created. And yet the rest of the story, the rest of the Bible points to a God who begins to draw near again. Even though we'd put him aside, we'd put him at arm's length, we'd turned our backs on him and hidden behind our walls, hidden behind our trees in the garden. The Lord begins the story of redemption, of drawing near, and he approaches and he comes to our wall. I wonder today, do you have a wall up that's keeping the Lord at bay, that's keeping him from being at work in your life in the way that he wants to be? Is there some sin that you are just flirting with, dabbling with too much that's got a grip on you, you've lost control of? Do you need to come back to him? cry out to him to knock down that wall because he approaches that wall but he doesn't stop he moves beyond that wall it says there he stands behind our wall but now here he is gazing through the windows he's drawn closer now he's outside the house I guess Middle Eastern houses would have had thick walls to keep it cool and then just holes in the wall 
to act as windows, to allow breeze. They didn't have glass, but there he was. He, he was coming more and more into sight. This is the story, the trajectory of the Bible, of the Old Testament, a God who reveals himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the people of Israel, bringing himself more into vision, allowing us to see who he is, to glimpse him as through a window. And he draws near. Why? Because he loves us. Because we are the apple of his eye. We are his bride. And he wants to see us and he wants us to see him. But he doesn't stop there. He gazes through the windows. He, he peers through the lattice. Lattice, I guess, is thinner. It's the stuff that plants grow on, isn't it? Wooden bits. But you can, you can put a, an arm through a lattice. You can reach out and touch someone through a lattice. Picture Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel with God reaching out his finger, touching the finger of Adam, bringing life. This is God's desire. This is the bridegroom's desire for each one of us. He doesn't want to stop at the wall. He doesn't want to stop just at the window giving us a glimpse. He wants to reach through and touch. But even more than that, he wants us to hear his voice. Verse 10, my beloved spoke. You see, God, for each one of us who's been at a distance to him, who's erected our walls, who's kept him at arm's length, we love to be a voyeuristic society, don't we? I mean, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, we have online lives where we investigate people. We do a bit of stalking, like, what are they doing there? And who are they hanging out with? And, you know, they don't know. But we, we keep these defensive walls up. We keep everyone at a certain distance. The Lord presses through all of them. And he comes close enough so that we can hear his voice. It says, my beloved spoke. Have you heard the voice of the Lord? Have you heard him speaking to you personally? Brilliant preacher, speaker at Focus, Jensen Franklin. He said something wonderful, a great takeaway, which I merely passed down the line to you, share with you, which is like, if you struggle to hear God, read God. The more you read God, the more you'll hear God. Have you heard God? If not, can I ask you, are you reading God? This book is living and active. God is still speaking it. His words will come off the page still hot with his breath. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If you want to hear God, read God. Read this book. Because he speaks. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. You see, we've seen that the Lord is he's the bridegroom who comes. He is the first mover. We love him because he first loved us. Here he comes. He has come. But when he comes to us, what does he do? He speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. And he simply says, come with me. He issues an invitation to step into life with him, saying, come with me. This is one of the reasons I love focus. You know, it's only hit me almost for the first time. I don't know why I've never seen it, but God has always called his people to have times apart where they come and meet with him. 
You know, we do it as a church. In January, we'll be going away for a church weekend away. That will be, we want to make that sort of sacred time and space. Put that last weekend in January. Put it in your diaries now. Do not miss out. Why is it important? Well, it's for, for loads of reasons. Community reasons, building friendships, but meeting with God. God has always called his people in the Old Testament for, for festivals, for seasons, to come and be set apart, to seek him, to remember him, to worship him. He says, come with me. This is what focus is. This is what we've just done. This is what we'll do again next year. We will have a rhythm of life where there are just times when we go away to be with each other and to be with our God. And he says, come with me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Walking the shores of Lake Galilee, calling men and women to come and follow him. To come and be with him. Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord comes. And as he comes to us, he invites us to come with him. To be the bride. And what will you get? Well, a beautiful picture he opens up. Just look from verse 11. If you've got it there. What is life with Jesus following him, coming to be with him? What does it look like? Verse 11. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. What does life with God, with Christ look like? It looks like the difference between winter and spring. It looks like a transformed life. A life where before there was barrenness, but now there is music and color and fruit and flowers bursting with life. You saw on that focus video, did you notice those two big guys on the stage being interviewed by Nicky Gumbel? I'm going to have to get that interview isolated, sent over, because it was the most incredible time. Nikki interviewing these two guys, who uh, one of them you might have heard his story, Shane Taylor, um, who basically his ambition when he was growing up was to be the hardest man in the world. Uh, and he pretty much achieved that. And, you know, he was just a fighter and a brawler and a drug taker and a, just an enforcer. And he, he went to prison because he stabbed a guy in the head. You know, and there's an... Uh, there's, I think, a, an x-ray of the, guy, the guy's head with the knife, and, and he went to prison for that. In prison, he attacked two guards, stabbed them. He had to be put in an isolation ward. He was listed as the sixth, fifth or sixth most dangerous prisoner in the whole UK prison system. But you know what? In prison, he did alpha. He, he says, he's massive, Shane. Ginger guy. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevant. Um, I don't think you'd ever mention that with him, if you were with him. He's now a Facebook friend of mine, actually, and I won't mention it. Um, but a huge guy, muscle guy, and he used to go along to this Alpha course with this little chaplain, probably about four or five people doing it. And he said he used to go along for the, for the biscuits and the gato. He's northern, you know, whatever they talk. You know, he's like, he used to go along for the biscuits and the gato. And you know, I'm doing it there, and I just feel this... Apologies for anyone I've offended just then. Um, he said there was this time when he just felt this something going on in his belly, like electricity. 
And every time he shares it, it's, it's 10 years on, every time he shares it, he wells up, he cries, because he's describing the Holy Spirit, this, this electricity filling him, begins to fill him and overflow him and just fill his heart and his life. And he's just, he's just crying, he's weeping, he's filling up. His heart is being changed. He's coming alive under the Spirit of God and he is a transformed man. And he now works for a charity called Caring for Ex-Offenders set up by HDB uh, to see men's and women's lives transformed coming out of prison. And he's the most lovely, loving, gentle giant you could imagine. And Nikki interviewed him, but then he also interviewed this other guy called Paul Venus, who was the guy doing most of the talking, who is uh, equally, I think, a man who grew up with the ambition of being the hardest man in Middlesbrough. Um, you know, I think once he'd achieved that, he might have moved on to bigger things. But uh, Middlesbrough to begin with. And he says he, he achieved that. And he's like some ultimate fighting sort of champion, heavyweight guy. I've Googled him a bit. Uh, you know, he looks pretty hard. Um, but that was his ambition. And one night he said, you hear a bit of it, he was going off to kill someone because he was angry with them for something. And he said, I'm going off to kill him. And uh, instead he got shot to the police, you heard it, by, by his own mum uh, because either he would have been killed or he would have killed someone that night. So he, he goes to prison. And he was aware of Shane. He knew Shane uh, before Shane knew Christ. And he'd had a couple of dealings with him once when he went around and something was kicking off outside and Shane came out holding a screwdriver and said, basically, worse to the effect of, you know, get out of here or I will uh, stick this screwdriver in your neck. Uh, and Paul says, I could tell from the look in his eyes, he would have as well, he would have. So there's this extraordinary exchange between these two hard men whose lives would have been a picture of winter before Christ moved in. And Shane came and met Paul in prison and told him about Christ, told him about Jesus, told him about the life on offer. And again, long story short, the Holy Spirit came and filled Paul and transformed his life, transformed his heart just seven or eight weeks ago to the point that he's left that life behind. And he's now a Christian following Jesus. What is a life with Jesus, following Jesus, look like? It looks like transformation. It looks like the difference between winter and spring. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. It's a hard analogy to work in a British climate, I know, where we seem to swing between winter and summer on a daily basis. But imagine, the rains finally are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. Picture this as your inner world, your heart, your soul. Who doesn't want flowers to be growing within them? Life bursting forth. Who doesn't want a season of singing to come? I won't ask for a show of hands about who sings in the shower first thing in the morning, but God wants us to be a people who overflow with music, that we wake up and we just want to sing and declare his praise because we know his goodness. Isn't that what you want? Isn't it? To be a soul that is alive, fulfilled with music, overflowing with singing, where the cooing of doves is heard in our land, even if you're not a fan of cooing. It's just like everything's bursting forth with life. I think they coo when they're reproducing. It's, it's just a picture of multiplication, of abundance. The fig tree forms its early fruit. Give me a wave if you want a life of fruitfulness tonight. Just every hand in the air. Give me a wave. I know you do. This is what we want, isn't it? It all comes from that invitation. Come with me. Arise, my darling. 
my beautiful one. We want blossom. We want fragrance. The vines spread their fragrance. Guys, we are called to be a people of fruit, a people of life, a people of color, a people of music, a people of blossom, a people of fragrance in a society that is dying and going to hell. We are called to be the fragrance of Christ. And that will come naturally, that will overflow if simply we see that the Lord Almighty is the one who has come to us and who has invited us to arise and come with him. The only question tonight is, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Let's pray as we close.